Hey everyone, welcome to or welcome back to the Flowcast. This is the podcast for information and inspiration on your journey to finding your flow. My name's RJ and I'm joined by my co-host Telsey and together we explore topics surrounding flow as well as lead by inspiration through our own passions and those of the guests that we interview. So let's dive right in. On this episode, we've got Dr. Sean Francis and uh, just start by telling us a little bit about who you are, what you're doing now, and then we're going to dive into some of the things that you've done recently and and um, get into that stuff. For sure. Well, thanks for having me on. So um, I'm a chiropractor at Tower Hill Chiropractic here in Peterborough. Uh, my wife is also a chiropractor, so together we own that clinic as well as Quarth Lakes Chiropractic in Lindsay. In Lindsay, we also run Quarth Lakes Fit Body, which is an indoor fitness boot camp. We've run that for the last nine years. And I've been a member of the Canadian Forces Army Reserve since 1998, so coming up on 22 years now. Wow. Yeah, a lot of things going on. And I definitely want to cycle back into that um, in a bit and and see how you balance all of that stuff. Because we usually like to end the conversations with a little more advice, um, sometimes tailored towards whether it's a new business owner or somebody that's just trying to like get into their zone, right? Find their flow. And so we'll, we'll definitely circle back to that, but you just uh, competed in something called the iron warrior. And I really wanted to focus a lot on that today because it sounds amazing. And you really did an exceptional performance this year, especially if you look back on, on previous years. So what is the iron warrior? Um, Who's, who's able to take part in it and, and uh, how did how did you like prepare for it this year and how did you do yeah okay so uh the canadian forces iron warrior is an annual event i believe this was the 36th or 37th year they've run it and it's sort of the canadian version of the iron man um some might say even though it's shorter distance it's definitely more grueling uh the event itself uh, 500 soldiers up at canadian forces base petawawa over two days take part and it's a 50 kilometer event so you start at four in the morning you've got a 40 pound backpack minimum weight plus your food and water and any other gear that you think that you would need and you've got a 32 kilometer march ahead of you so this is in the dark because the sun's not coming up right. uh, for the next few hours <laughs> and you step off with this group and each day is about 250 to 280 it's certainly grown in the last few years so 32 kilometers with this backpack. So mine was about 48 pounds with water. I had three and a half liters on me, plus you know uh, nutrients within the water itself. At that point, uh, for having completed the 32 kilometers, you're then awarded a 50 pound canoe, uh, which you prepare the day before, and you will single-handedly portage that canoe for about four kilometers. Uh, that'll take you to the Ottawa River, at which point you then uh, place your kit in the canoe, you enter the Ottawa River, and you've got an eight kilometer paddle ahead of you. You finish that then, and remembering you've just completed 36 kilometers of, of marching with weight on your back or running, uh, carried, and, and then you got on the water and paddled, so your legs have now tightened up quite a bit over the last hour, you still have six kilometers to go. So you put your pack back on, and you uh, race to the finish line, hoping to uh, to do your best. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So definitely a grueling event. Rain or shine, and it doesn't really matter the weather. So this is my third year doing it. Uh, I first started two years ago. I had the idea probably 15 years ago with my old unit to do this event. It, it uh, I, I heard about it and I wanted to try it out and it sounded interesting. It didn't happen at that time. Yeah. So uh, f- about three years ago, um, our now commanding officer of the Hastings and Prince Edward Regiment, um, Lieutenant Colonel 
uh, sorry, Major Vanderberg uh, mentioned this was one of the things that we were required to do to, to have people involved in the Iron Warrior competition. And, and I, it reminded me about the event and I thought, you know what, this is something I want to do. So I was at that time, two years ago, I was just finishing a 16 week fitness program, sort of getting in great shape for the summer. And uh, I woke up on my birthday, the 29th, and I said, I'm going to put a backpack on and, and go for a bit of a walk just to just to get the feel. Yeah. And I think that was the catalyst. I, I said, I'm in, I'm making it happen. So that summer, um, a friend of mine, Nicholas LeBlanc, who's also in the unit, uh, we trained over 500 kilometers um, from June, July and August. We went out, we did the event, and my first time ever, I had finished in six hours, 53 minutes, placing me eighth out of almost 200 soldiers. Wow. So that was pretty pretty incredible. And uh, we took off, we were out the gate, we were moving fast, and uh, over time, I, I found myself in the lead. I was, I was all alone on my first year doing it, but improper, I think it was the nutrition and, and maybe several other things we can talk about that caught yeah. up with me. I slowed down, I cramped. People passed me. I was counting them. I had this sort of sense of defeat, like, oh, no. You know, I don't know what I really expected that year. I really just wanted to complete it and do very well. But um, ended up in eighth, so that was good. Fast forward a year, and we're going to do it again. So now I'm uh, – unfortunately, Nick couldn't do it that year. So I found uh, some of the other lads from the unit that they were going to they were gonna do it with me. I didn't get to train as much. Mm-hmm. In May, I was away for five weeks up at uh, Base Meaford doing uh, my infantry junior leadership course. So five weeks away from family and business and everything else like that. And thank goodness I've got a, a very powerful wife and a very strong wife who was able to keep everything going, <laughs> right? We have three kids and, you know, the whole household. Yeah. But trained uh, not as much. Um, so I did that and then I got back and a few weeks later we had our, our third child. So even less training because where I would get up in the morning before, I just, I couldn't. I was quite exhausted all the time taking mm-hmm. care of baby. And now sort of Stacy was off for three months. So I'm running all the businesses. And But regardless, I said, you know what, I'm committed. I'm going to go do this. So I ended up putting in 200 kilometers of training. That includes sort of the event itself. So about 150 and then went and did the event. And what's interesting is I was faster. Oh. I went from 6.53 to 6.41, shaved 12 minutes off, yeah. came ninth place, which is a place slower, which means it was a better better playing field, right? Mm-hmm. Better athletes out there. And I, I was still quite impressed with what I achieved. And I already, I had turned my eyes now to the next year. I thought, <laughs> okay, well, you know, let's, let's really make this happen. So now we're in this year. Yeah. This year was interesting because it was back in, in June that I put on the pack and, you know, I wanted to get ready to start training. So I went out and did a simple five kilometer with the backpack on and it was quite quick. Um, I, it's, it's interesting because I move fast for a 39 year old and the young guys in the unit will tell you this. They're surprised how I move as fast as they do with 50 pounds on my back, often much faster than they do with zero weight on their back. Hmm. So it's, it's an interesting thing there and maybe it's just a resilience, uh, meant who knows what it is. But anyway, so I started the training here. Um, in July, I believe it was July, June or July, I think it was July, we did this thing. Our regimental sergeant major, Dean Stokes, he had the idea that we were going to, because I believe it's July 10 is Pacino Day, which is one of the great battles of the Second World War that the Hastings Prince Edward Regiment was involved in. And we talk about the hundreds of miles these soldiers traveled in that war and, and you know, for what we have today. Mm-hmm. So it was in homage to that. And we said, we were, well, we're going to do this event where we walk uh, over two days, 100 miles. Okay. You know, the hundreds and hundreds of miles they did, we were going to do 100 miles. It was a test of unit strength and cohesion and individual skill. So on Monday, we stepped off from Coburg Armories 
I believe around four or five in the morning, and we ended up in Peterborough that night, having having done 50 miles or 60 kilometers. The next morning, we got up and we went from Peterborough to Belleville, crossed the line, and you were allowed to take breaks as need be and sort of sub in and sub out. But I logged over that 160 possible kilometers, 101 kilometers over two days. Yeah, which was it was incredible. We were fighting the heat, and it was hot. We were dehydrated. <laughs> it was, but it was it was a great accomplishment, and there was uh, there was. It was very interesting to be able to do something like that because I think that set the tone for this year. Mm-hmm. And as mangled as maybe my feet were and my body over that that arduous task, it toughened the feet, it toughened the frame, it, it toughened me. So any training going forth was it was it was almost whatever. I've done 101k, so I got into the point where it's now time to get up and go do 16 kilometers of hills with Dave Kerbin from Trent Health in Motion there. And it was like, okay, well, whatever. It's not 101, it's 16. Yeah. So we would do hills. And the next week it was 24. And then it was 16 on a track. And we set up the loop that we were actually going to do. Because we ran the full Ironman three weeks prior to the event. Because we wanted to know. And I, I had done it before. I wanted to know the new. I wanted the new guys to know what it felt like. Yeah. So it wasn't new on the day. They were prepared. And we bumped our training up. And we went 24 kilometers of hills. We did heavy carries. And then ultimately we, we got to the event. I mean, there was a lot more involved in nutrition and we can talk about the nutrition and the mindset and the flow state and what I was doing here with the cold therapy and the float therapy and the massage and the fascial release. But it was really an all-encompassing year that put it all together. Mm. Long story short, we ran the event last Thursday, stepped off at four within a kilometer. I was at the front with a couple people that I knew were big contenders. By four kilometers, I started pulling away. I stopped briefly at eight kilometers because I had to... Uh, take a quick pee and uh, look back. I saw my second place guy a couple hundred meters back, took off again. I got to the eight kilometers. Again, a quick stop. Nobody in sight got to the 32. In years past, I told myself that, you know what, if I can win the 32, the initial element, yep. I might win the event. And this really started to come back to me because I'm saying, okay, well, is this true? They gave me the canoe, put it on my back, started walking, instantly remind me of how exhausted I was because of the run. Um, the, the 32 kilometers itself, where I expected 344 to be my time, I did it in 302. So I was I was literally on fire moving. The canoe, I didn't want to put it down, but I, I did after about three and a half kilometers, about three and a bit kilometers, put it down for a break, picked it up, didn't do much, got to the next stand. There's basically tents out there you can lean it on. Took a little bit of a longer break, but I said to myself, I, I don't want to lose this event because I'm taking breaks. So pick it up and go. And I picked it up and started running with it because I was just, I was not going to lose at this point. I was so committed to winning the event. Um, hit the water, couldn't see anything. It was all foggy out. So we're listening to the boats. And just as I pulled away, number two hit the water. I heard him barreling in behind me on the beach. So he was there and he was on my heels. Game plan changed. You know, I was, uh, I was thinking about, you know, drinking every five minutes. I just paddled. I went into total zone paddled every stroke counted and an hour nine later exited the water cheering people bagpipes going on picked up my pack and normally in years past where i would be exhausted and the legs would be seized i just moved i picked it up and moved and i was through the golf course moments later my wife and kids arrived because i told them that when i would be there getting out of water not expecting to move as fast they got there 
asked if I was out and the response I got was, oh yeah, he's on the move, total beast mode. <laughs> so my son was a little let down because uh, he had to walk back up this massive hill. <laughs> but they went back up. I carried on through the personal quarters, final two kilometers. It was, I was really feeling it. Started looking over my shoulder, just, oh man, is this guy going to get me? Turned onto the final hundred meter stretch, uh, saw my wife, ran to her. I said, is there anyone near me? She looks back, she goes, not a person. Went forward, got my brigade flag, um, kept moving forward, got my regimental flag. Beast mode was re-engaged. I was, the kids joined me. We crushed the line. Five hours, 39 minutes. An hour or two faster than last year. Yeah. So that, <laughs> that's, that's the event. I won the day. It was 11 minutes faster than the next, uh, the next fellow. Yeah. Um, and wow, what an experience. That's so, amazing. So that's it. Yeah. <laughs> that's the last three years. <laughs> that is, that's amazing. I think um, something that I really like out of that is you talked about the the training leading up to it being as tough and tougher than the competition day in a lot of ways so that you know when you put all the pieces together on competition day you are firing on all cylinders and it's the exact same thing that I've realized over the past eight years of competing in strongman is like you kind of get better and better and learn like these these subtle things The, the training making it harder than the competition, you know, doing multiple sets of what you're going to do on competition day. And sometimes with, with less ideal, um, environment. So whether it's like a tougher terrain, tougher equipment, um, earlier in the morning, different things to throw the body off, but, but then dialing it into being as close as possible to competition day is, uh, is critical to, to performing at the absolute best and and we see that you know across the board with with athletes that are really at the the peak of what they're doing um so that's super cool to hear and uh i think it it sounds like you've got a very competitive background too though and so you get fired up just from the competition spirit and competition environment um i believe you've you've done some bodybuilding shows or something in the past have you yeah i've done uh uh Fitness, well, fitness male model, fitness physique. So not the, not the super massive guys, yeah. but just, uh, you know, a demonstration of health and, and can I be lean and can be a f- um, fit and aesthetic yeah. and, and I love it. And I, I like what you're saying about training harder. And there's a great quote that says, your toughest day should never be in combat, hmm. right? If you have to figure things out when bullets are flying, it's a it's a bad show. And, and I love that because that's how the Navy SEALs and a lot of the, the special forces around the world train is they train so that, they already expect it. There's nothing more that they can see on that battlefield that they're not prepared for. And I think that's a, that's a brilliant way to look at it. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's all about what the other quote is what um, proper preparation prevents poor performance. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. It's <laughs> so just being prepared. Totally. It, it, because it's a mental toughness. There's certainly the physiology of training, but yep. it's the mind that often fails people. Mm-hmm. So if your mind has been there before, it'll go there again. And that's why I think that 101 kilometers was one of the cornerstones of what happened this year. Yeah. Because to say, I'm going to get up tomorrow and do 24 kilometers, the average human being is probably terrified of, of that statement saying I could never. Right. Yeah. But for me, it was just like, just get up and just move because it's not 101. So big deal. Mm -hmm. And off we went. And you were doing it at like four or 5 a.m. 
right? That was the interesting thing. Yeah. So as uh, there's two days of competition. Day one is the non-lodger unit. So everybody external to the base, the reservists, people who have full-time jobs, right? Citizen, oh, okay. you know, soldiers. It, it, I, I work at the clinics. I work at the gym. I run a family. And then I do my Tuesday and Thursday nights training with Hastings Prince Over Regiment plus weekends plus any training that I can do. So this means getting up at three so I can go out at four and I can train till seven and come home and get the kids ready for school and then open the clinic at nine o'clock and go. Yeah. So pretty incredible there because I look back on the timings and on day two, that's when the regular force goes. That's when the lodger unit. So the full timers, the guys who train year round, who get paid, maybe not the same responsibilities as I have. Mm -hmm. So when I look at it on day two this year, um, the first place guy was, I believe, just under 538. So he was a minute 13 faster than me. And and, and for a second, I was like, man, you know, I, okay, well, I got it. Two things happened. One, I thought, you know, dang, maybe I shouldn't have taken as much breaks on the, on the, on the portage. Um, and I said, okay, well, wait a second. This, this guy gets all the training in the world. But then I said, okay, well, there's room for improvement. Yeah. Now i got to come back. Right. <laughs> and, and I think the fastest time I've seen on that course is 526. So I've got 13 minutes to find. And, and it's there and it's doable. It's yeah. just when it's going to happen. Right. Yeah. That's super cool. Um, and and so, like, what what do you think has led up to, like, the mental toughness to get through that? Or is it a lot of – you kind of talked about being in the, in the zone with it. Um, is – is there something that you kind of identify with where you recognize that flow state where it's like you lose track of time, you uh, are really, your body's just firing on all cylinders. Is there something in your life where that's kind of like the, the core element? Um, is it with like this sort of running stuff or, or where does that come from? Yeah, I think, um, I think probably the first time I experienced something I didn't even know was flow state yeah. would be 2006. I was with the Canadian Forces Army gun race team. We traveled across Canada doing demonstrations. And essentially, it was two teams. And we took a, a pack howitzer. We pulled it apart, disintegrated this big this big cannon, pulled it apart, ran pieces up the ramp, hooked it onto this guy wire, went across this, um, you know, this pseudo canyon, not really a canyon there, but across this gap, mm-hmm. unhooked. And I was the guy on the far side catching these pieces of metal, these 90 to 300 pound pieces of metal (laughs) and rolling through so it could be put back together, reassemble the gun, fire, and that's the winning team. And we got down to doing this in like a minute's time. And and the flow and precision you need to be in there when you're not even thinking about it because, you know, you've got a, a 209 pound um trail coming at you and the guy and you're looking him at the eyes and he has to hit the ejector right at the right time because if he slams into the end buckle this 10 foot piece of metal is flying up in the air and someone's going to get smoked he ejects it it sails in i'm standing there ready to catch it and i'm on the go yeah so i would listen to back at that time a tool had just come out with uh, 10,000 days and 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 that uh, the pot was my song right and I, I would listen to it and I would just get fired up and I knew it and I knew my spot. And I watched back old videos and, and they're on the YouTube under Canadian Forces Army Gun Race Team. And and I would see myself get across and I'm just, I'm tapping the pole. I'm always checking my position. I know where I'm at. And it was seamless execution. Mm-hmm. Didn't even think about it. And then it was years later in Toronto doing a, a CrossFit run uh, weightlifting course where we, I heard about this concept of flow and started looking more into flow and sort of this execution and autopilot. So in preparation for this event, one of the things I did as far as mental mindset was uh, the idea of flow and, I, and it was the, the app Headspace. So mm. they had a competition series. It was 10 segments, 
you could choose 10 or 15 minutes and I've used Headspace in the past. So this one here, it gets you thinking about breathing, slowing down, mindfulness, but then it takes you through uh, determining a visual or kinesthetic cue that you can relate to flow state and very quickly re-enter it. Hmm. So in past, I had used a contact of, of first digit and middle finger to help me control anxiety and blood pressure and stress and enter into sleep a lot faster. So this I chose, you know, something because I didn't, I, my, my scenery was changing on the run. I chose first and second digit. So I sat there and I would make that contact and I'd focus on how my body felt and I would think about the gun race team and how seamless things were. And I did this over a period of 10 sessions. Uh, and lead up to the race. So when I got out there and running and my mind is drifting, I mean, six hours of running alone and staring off into the darkness and you start thinking about whatever, the body <laughs> and the aches and all that. And I found I could quickly make that connection and I would get back into focusing on what I'm doing. So the the execution or every stride or, or my gait pattern or every row was purposeful and with intent and with the best that I had to offer. So I wasn't just out there aimlessly, I had focus and I think that helped me. And if it's if it's flow or if it's, you know, operant conditioning or whatever it was, it worked. Wow. Because that was just one element of what allowed me to execute what I needed to. Yeah. I've actually that's it seems like every week I learn something new about the different strategies that people are using to either get into flow or recognize it. And that's super cool. I've I've never uh I've never really heard of that and I'll have to check out that course on Headspace because it is a definite it's definitely a great app for learning meditation but that sounds like a pretty neat kind of um, biohack or whatever if you will of of expanding the the realm of part of the purpose of, of mindfulness too right so it's being able to get yourself out of that um, that that state of discomfort even mm -hmm. right and and uh, I, I was thinking about it because like a lot of the times flow comes with things that aren't always the most comfortable and the only way you can kind of balance that fine line and not have that distraction of pain and discomfort is if you are in like a, a very mindful state as well even though it becomes very unconscious like you said with the the gun race it's uh everything's got to be essentially working on autopilot um, and that's where all the training leading up to it really is critical to being able to execute and, and perform in in a deep flow state kind of at your very pinnacle of, of performance right for sure um, that's super cool uh, so yeah that's I didn't think that we would I would hear something like that and that's great that'll be I think that you know with the take-home points that we like to to have that's something I definitely encourage people to to check out and and look more into um, kind of I guess actually something we didn't really touch on with with the race and everything and you said led to perhaps a better performance from the past years is figuring out the nutrition strategy and mm -hmm. the hydration strategy and so what did you do differently from last year that kind of helped you with with that aspect yeah, so this year I, I sort of really looked at uh, science of nutrition, what the body is able to store as far as glycogen, um, stored glucose or, or energy form, uh, what the body needed for hydration. And it's very tricky because everything you pull offline as far as preparation for Ironman, well, this isn't Ironman. This is something very different. Mm -hmm. So Ironman, as long as it is, they're not carrying a 40 to 50 pound pack. They're not in combat boots, combat pants. 
uh, sweating profusely. And I mean, humidity was 100%. Now, we lucked out the day of. It was about six or seven degrees. It was cool. So I didn't overheat like I've done in past where you're just constantly sweating. So I sat down, um, researched as much as I could, and and basically came up with the calculations of what I needed. You know, that 60 to 90 grams of carbohydrates per hour, that five to 700 mils of water per hour. What what can the human consume and utilize based on what we know from, from research and physiology? And then I said, okay, well, how long is it going to take me for each event? So the run is going to take me, I I guess, three and a half hours, the portage an hour. I have four and a half hours. I'm carrying a three and a half liter bladder. So what does that mean as far as carbs within? I'm out four and a half hours, so I need uh, 9, 18, 36. I need over 400 grams of carbs. Well, where can I get that carbs? And whereas last year, I haphazardly placed several scoops of a a nutrition supplement, basically a, a, a glucose, carbohydrate, dextrose, some salt. This year I actually calculated and said, okay, I need 10 scoops. I don't want to go much more than beyond that. So where else can I get sugar? Ah, you know, um, concentrated juice, uh-huh. a whole can. And I figured that out. It says, okay, but I have what I need. Now what's the schedule? Because I need 90 every 90 grams every 60 minutes. And I kept it at the high end because I figured I'm, I'm sweating a lot more. I'm doing something more for sort of physically demanding over a short time, especially if I want to keep a pace under seven minutes per kilometer, mm-hmm. which ended up being under six minutes kilometer with the speed that I was going. Yeah. You know, what is my consumption rate? You know, I, I don't want to wait every 20 minutes because I'm going to have to take in, you know, 250 mils of water. And that's like, that's too much. That's sloshing. What about every five minutes? So I calculated and said, okay, every five minutes makes sense. I need to take in about 70 mils of water, 60 to 70 mils of water. So how do I do that? Well, what's my current draw rate? So I put the camel back on and I said, when I take a mouthful versus a front mouth sip, how much does that equate to? And spit it out into a cup and said, okay, it's 30 mils front mouth, 60 mils full mouth. So I can either go full mouth or two front mouth. What does that equal on carbohydrate intake? Three and a half grams of carbs per front mouth or full mouth would be seven grams of carbs. If I do it every five minutes, it gives me 28 grams of carbs. There's my carbohydrate intake. So I'm good to go. There's my water intake. So I prepared that. I knew that the second half of the race was going to be challenging. I'd be a little fatigued. So I opted for a different supplement that had more caffeine in it. And I did the same math. I'm going to be an hour on the water, an hour running after the water. How much water do I need to bring with me? I've got a two and a half liter camelback, but I only need a liter and a half. I don't want extra weight. So let's only do a liter and a half. How many scoops does that equate to? What does my energy on the day look like? In years past, I would get up early and eat. Um, oatmeal or whatever, you know, simple things. And that's what's suggested, but I didn't want anything in my stomach. I didn't want to be digesting food. I wanted liquid forms, fast energy and go. So I I took that into consideration. Years, last year, the day before, I sort of followed a regimented nutrition. I carb loaded the day before with things like rice and bread and bananas and whatnot, pastas and and, and, uh, chicken. But again, the science wasn't there. It was sort of haphazard. So I sat down and I said, okay, well, what do I need? I need to get up to four to six, even six to 800 grams of carbohydrates in the two days before. Mm -hmm. So how can I do that? And I had been following a plan all summer long to stay very, very lean, which in turn made me very adaptive to carbohydrate consumption. So on the daily, excuse me, on the daily basis, I was consuming about 80 grams of carbohydrates strictly from vegetables, very low amount. Yeah. I understand through coaching and through our fitness programs that really, unless we're you know, full tilt athletes or there's competition, we just don't need as much of that carbohydrate as we believe that we need. And I find under half your body weight in grams per day is sufficient for most people. So, you know, at 180 pounds, 185 pounds, 90 grams is a suffice for me. It's good. I get most of my nutrients from proteins and from healthy fats. Yeah. And that was me. So the good thing is, is I was very responsive to carbohydrate intake, the way the pancreas and insulin works. I was controlling that sugar. It was utilized very rapidly, not stored as excess energy. 
but I couldn't go from 80 up to 800 because my body would crash. Mm-hmm. So I'm in and around the 1700 calories per day, which is in line with the nine calories per pound of body weight, which is what I felt that I needed at the time. And I started ramping it up. And I said, based on my daily intake, which is consistent over the last probably eight weeks, yeah. things like egg whites and all natural peanut butter and vegetables and chicken and fish and turkey, the simplistic whole healthy foods. And, and I was consistent. So I said, okay, well, I'm gonna start to take away little bits of fat here and start to add carbohydrates. So I went from uh, Saturday having 80 some odd grams of carbs up to 120 on Sunday. My calories went up 100, no big deal. Yeah. Monday, I added more. I started adding bananas and oatmeals and rices. And I went from 120 up to almost 200 grams of carbohydrates. And my calories went from 2,000 up to 2,200, very small increments. As I got into Tuesday, I bumped up now to almost 3,000. There was a big jump in calories, less fats, more carbohydrates, to the point where I was now almost to a third of my intake as carbohydrates, and I was up into the two to 300. The day before the event, I had built myself up to 600 grams of carbohydrates through lots of rice, lots of bananas, RX bars, uh, these little honey snap thing bars, and drinking the supplement drink that I'd be drinking the next day. So my calories were up into the 3000s and the day of the event with the nutrition schedule, and I just figured this out last night because I looked at my run tracker, and in that 50 kilometers, in that uh, five hours, 39 minutes, it estimates I burn 4,200 calories. When I look back at my nutrition plan, the nutrition from midnight to end of race was 4,150 calories. It was oh, ridiculous wow. how that added up. Yeah. And I think it was that that fueled me because in past years, at 12 to 16, even 18 kilometers, I would cramp. I'd be in the lead, but I would cramp. My legs would seize up. I'd be hit my legs. And from there on, it was a game of walking and running to try to get through the event. This didn't happen this year. I just kept moving. Huh. Whenever I thought, you know, maybe I'm going to walk, um, I said, not when, not till you get your canoe. And I just kept going. And I and the nutrition, I also had that sort of statement, the if, when, then statement, right? So if or when this happens, then this will occur. So I said, when I'm on flat ground or going downhill, I will run. When I'm going uphill, I will walk fast. And when I found myself at times where I was walking on flat ground and I thought about walking, I said, well, no, that's not the condition. The condition is when you're on flat ground, you will run. Yeah. And it's a very simple thing. And there's great research on that too, on how effective a simple statement is. Yeah. You know, when lunch is over, I will opt for the spearmint tea and not the big piece of ice cream cake. <laughs> yeah. And and people react to that because they have a statement. When I wake up and brush my teeth, I will take my um, diabetic medicine. And people are more likely to do it almost threefold than those who don't have a statement to guide them. Yeah. So very cool. That's that's great piece of advice. Yeah, that's... Uh... We, we talk about we talk about things like affirmations and and these sort of subtle tricks that you can use in your speech essentially in, in your thought process in your speech um, I don't think we've actually gotten into the if when then though so that's that's a great piece of advice to just you know have everybody mull over and consider how you can apply that whether it is for, a race or if it's for any other type of habit you're trying to build or or um just thing you're trying to accomplish right so that i I really like that that piece of advice now um we kind of um started with hearing about all the different things that you've got going on in your life and 
I'm fascinated to know, like, how are you finding balance with all of that? Running a clinic in Peterborough, in Lindsay, running the boot camp gym in, in Lindsay, r- running a family, and all the all the physical stuff. Like, you're telling me, you're, right after this, you're going to the gym, and how do you manage it all? What what is uh what are some of the things like you've learned over the years of doing this that that are like kind of those those key components i think definitely time management is important um we can have every excuse in the world but excuses don't take you closer to your destination so why right yeah. um i follow a very interesting guy out of toronto ontario his name's craig ballantyne uh-huh. he wrote a book called the perfect day formula and he talks about the perfect day doesn't occur the day of by by uh, by chance, it occurs the night before through preparation and planning. You know, get your mind right at night before. Write out what you have to do. What are your big rocks? Where is your attention focus need to be? What do you need to attack first to move you forward in your day? You now, what time can you get up? Do you need to sleep in till six and seven o'clock? Can you go to bed earlier? Because what's the point of sitting up all night watching things that aren't gonna you know move your life forward? Can you get up earlier and can you get that focused time where almost it's a a three to one ratio of how effective you are. So if you can get up at 5 a.m. and get an hour or two of work done before the family gets up and the world gets up and, and imposes their issues upon you, you can put that time into your development and your lifestyle development. You know, whether it's business or personal life, are you going to work out? Because at the end of the day, we find a million excuses why we don't want to go work out or exercise or better ourselves. So I think just having that plan, having that focus, understanding what you want to achieve, and then dialing it back. So we look at mission statements in the military, what do we want to achieve or time estimations and we work back and we figure out, well, what's it going to take to achieve this end state? Not taking step by step and then trying to figure it out as we go, Yeah, which is a challenging thing too because there's a philosophy that basically the idea of ready, fire, aim, take action and correct en route because if you wait until there's perfect conditions, you may never act. So it's a bit of a balance between the two. Yep. To have an idea where you want to go, the idea of the life GPS, right? If you don't put in a destination, you'll drive around the block endlessly. Um, if you don't have a plan of attack, you don't have a GPS guiding you, you know, when you're supposed to turn right, you might end up turning left. Or if you do have a plan, but you don't follow it, again, it says turn right and you turn left, you end up in the bad part of town, someone steals your tires. I mean, things can go bad. So I, I think you've got to have direction. You've got to have a plan and sit down and, and put the focus to it. And you can pretty, pretty much achieve whatever you want, physical endeavor uh, with for yourself, uh, an event, for family, finances, lifestyle goals. Having a great partner definitely helps too. I couldn't do anything I do without my wife. I mean, she keeps things moving with three kids, a busy lifestyle. They're now into hockey and martial arts and piano and school and one's walking and it's just, it's busy. Yeah. But we take a moment, take a moment to breathe and figure out, okay, where are we? What is most important? And and let's move forward on that. Very cool. Yeah. Um, In one of my, one of my notebooks from the last year, I've got a whole bunch of pages of from the perfect day formula because uh, I've been following Craig since like the early days of turbulence training yes, yes. <laughs> and he, um, yeah, he's a, a machine for production. Like he it's is. like, he's definitely one of those people that's inspiring through just being driven to, I think he goes to bed at like seven or eight cause he wants to get up at four or five every morning to have that time before anybody else is awake right. and he's able to, you know, knock out a, a blog post a day or whatever. And his, uh, his Twitter feed's always very thoughtful and and about all these you know diligent quotes and inspiration and um, he has shifted gears right he's got a much bigger business now essentially and he's coaching other people 
in the wellness field and in the productivity field now. So it's it's been inspiring to see like what and and the the proof of concept of his perfect day formula has really worked out for him and all the people that he inspires and coaches. So Indeed. that's really cool. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about today? Um, what, what did we touch on? So we well, touched on training and nutrition. I think yeah, we didn't really touch on recovery. Care of much. self, conditioning of body. Uh, I find that as a chiropractor, it, I, I think the fascial system is very interesting. And, and the fascia being sort of that straight jacket under the skin over the muscle that can tighten with age. It can either work for you or against you. Um, there's a book called Natural Born Heroes. And there's a comment in there. And they talk about... Um, Greece and these fighters and parkour and the Second World War and it's and it's amazing but there's a comment that is what if we don't have however many it is 200 plus muscles in the human body or 600 muscles what if we have but one and he's referring to the fascia when you oh, okay. train your fascia to be efficient yeah. so Bruce Lee's one inch punch I don't believe is, uh, is is individual muscles working on their own. I think it is a fascial response. He's very rapidly fast. So I wanted to make sure that I had access to space. I don't want to fight against my own body on a daily basis. And I find a lot of people do that when you're not moving mechanically efficient because of restrictions within the skeletal system where chiropractic can definitely help get you moving. And that's one of the facets I use to help me move well. Mm -hmm. Seeing both uh, my wife, Dr. Stacy, and Dr. Steve from our Quartlex Chiropractic Clinic. Um, I, I made sure that my nervous system was firing well, but I also went and I saw Josh Martin and, uh, and, and Tash and they were doing massage and fascial release therapy to make sure I had access to space. Yeah. So my ability to draw my leg back and propel it forward and rotate the way that I needed to almost seamlessly aiding the flow of where my mind was made it work out and then coming in here to flow spot and doing uh, the float therapy to give me time to rest um, the sort of the aches of the human body from everyday life and then yeah. getting into the cold therapy prior and conditioning my body against well, not only being uncomfortable, but being able to close in on the mind and, and control and also the benefit of cold therapy as far as rapid healing. And I yeah. found even after the event, when I came back in the other day and I got right back in and, and I found my body likes the cold. It, it allows it to basically um, reset and, and yeah. be ready to train again. Absolutely. So that combination was brilliant. I had the right gear and equipment, um, whether it was the, the right socks that I purchased that allowed uh, non-friction and non-blisters. The orthotics I find are, are brilliant for me. And, and luckily I got, I got to create my own as a chiropractor, but cool. building my orthotics to support that, that weight, that load over 50 kilometers. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it's quite challenging for the human body. And I think not having them, I would be in worse shape than I was. But I finished that day and I felt absolutely phenomenal from the nutrition, the preparation, to the point where I ran all of our other teammates in. The next day I was feeling great. And yeah. this is a year older and a year older and a year older. So it's scary to see what might happen next year when I enter the Masters League because I'm only going to be better. Right. Right. And I'm only going to be faster. And and I think it's uh, taking care of the human body is certainly important. So there's, there's the training, there's the nutrition, but don't forget about you through whatever facets you can utilize, prepare yourself. And I think what you're capable of can be more readily expressed than if you're you're fighting not only the endeavor, but your own body's mechanics because you're not moving efficiently. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's, yeah. uh, it's true. I think it's why we see even in sports where where people tend to be like stiffer and and like strongman and powerlifting, there's a lot 
more people getting into doing things like animal flow yes. and uh, any yoga, um, just stretching, diff- different things like that to, yeah, to create that space in your body to be able to withstand when things don't go ideally as well, right? So when we are going for prolonged periods of time, whether under extreme um, weight or just extreme endurance duress, it's things don't always it's great if you can be in perfect you know like you're on a, a train track going sure. straight forward but things are can get a little bit wobbly or whatever and your body's resilience to that i think is is majorly impacted by that flexibility mobility whatever you want to call it that having that space i like that idea of of space in the body yeah. i think it makes life easier to live because life does get challenging with the we all physiologically age yeah but you're better prepared for those later years if you maintain movement while you can and it's never too late to start and, and i say this as a as, as a chiropractor and patients that i see who discover chiropractic in their 60s and 70s and i yep. say you know, my God, man, where, where were you 20 to 30 years ago, though I wasn't practicing? This is one of the things you would never dream of, you know, owning a, a race car, or even an everyday, you know, street car and never maintaining it. It would fall apart. And why do we wait for the engine light to go on or for the smoke to be coming out of the engine? Well, we don't with our vehicles. We take care of them in advance. Yeah. We don't wait for our teeth to be causing us incredible amounts of pain and falling out of our face. We see the dentist. So why is there the disconnect with things like chiropractic and massage? Why don't we take care of the one vehicle that when it breaks down, you don't get to go buy a new one <laughs> unless you want to start replacing parts. Yeah. This is the thing that has to last you to 100. And I say that to every patient. And I look at them and I say, you've got 70 years to go. What are you doing to make sure this this vehicle is going to get you there? Because life is going to get tough. And if you don't take care of yourself, it's going to be tougher. You're going to fight against yourself before you fight against the world. And energy reserve at the end of the day is no longer there because you've spent the entire day fighting against inability to move and you're exhausted. And what a way to live life to be exhausted every day. Yeah. So get up and move. And I and I and I love and I wish it was George St. Pierre and it was Conor McGregor. And I think they brought that animal flow into light and we really started to see it. And we said, how powerful are these people? And why are they training differently? Why are they doing yoga? Guys don't do yoga. Right. Guys do do yoga. And I think those who do are much stronger. Yeah. Powerful, right? Absolutely. Elvis Stoico, phenomenal ability and flexibility and movement. Take care of yourself because days will get tough. Yeah. I think that's a that, I think that's a great place to wrap it up. Sure. Um, For I don't, sure. For unless sure. there's anything else you want to cover. But I encourage people, Dr. Sean Francis on facebook you do a lot um i think you've got a newsletter and now an audio version of it coming out we do and uh you do a lot of live videos and and so definitely worth checking out and worth checking out uh tower hill chiropractic if you're peterborough and what's the quarth lakes Lakes chiropractic yeah yeah Yeah. so all over the place in this area so yeah thanks for coming on and and uh anything else you want to mention uh if anybody's interested in joining the canadian forces army reserve go hdp.com that's uh the local unit peterborough belleville coburg it's a great place to be and uh what we do is we build better canadians and maybe i'll see you on the uh, iron warrior battlefield next year Uh, yeah, yeah that's awesome great thanks dr sean thank you thank you for listening to this episode of the flowcast if you like listening to our podcast Be sure to leave a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or your other favorite podcast platform. This actually helps to make a difference and to spread the word to more people wanting to listen to this podcast. 
We put together regular Q&A episodes where we answer your questions. So send us any questions you have either to the Facebook page at FlowSpotON or find us on Instagram or you can also send the questions through the FlowSpa.ca website. And remember that by subscribing to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast platform, you'll get notified when each new episode is released. Thank you again for listening to the Flowcast, and we'll talk to you again next time.